Good morning, Oak Point Church. How are you guys doing? Woo! All right, let's hear from the students. Good morning, Oak Point Church. How are you guys doing? That was supposed to be louder. I was, concur- I was counting on you students. Let's try it again. All you students, you kids. How are you guys doing, students? Good. There we go. All right. Yeah, I thought you were going to let me down for a minute, but I knew better. Well, good morning. My name is Brent. I serve here as one of the pastors at Oak Point. I'm excited to be back here. I'm excited to get to preach actually the last message of 2023 here at Oak Point Church. And you know, when we talk about 2023, some of you guys are maybe really excited about how the past year has been. And maybe some of you are really excited about 2024 starting, right? So that can take two different uh, looks, right? Maybe it was a great year for you. Maybe it was a painful year, right? Um, I'm not sure how your 2023 was, but as I began to think about this uh, about this sermon, I started thinking through different passages. I started reflecting about this year in general. I started thinking about what what was significant about 2023. If I had one word to describe 2023, what word would it be? And so I started going to my friend, the internet, to help search and think about what word would help me uh, understand that. And you know what? There's actually a word of the year. I had no idea, right? But apparently I've been living under a rock. And uh, there's a word of the year. In fact, many different groups like Collins, um, Cambridge, American Dialect Society, Merriam-Webster, they come up every year with a word of the year or a phrase to help understand kind of what our year was like. So it might look like a word, might look like a phrase. And in fact, they do a pretty accurate job, I think, overall. In fact, if I was to go ahead and talk about 2020, what do you guys think would be a word of the year, a a highlight word that would show up from 2020? Go ahead. What's that? COVID. There we go. I heard COVID. I heard lockdown, right? Yeah, pandemic, right? COVID, lockdown, pandemic, quarantine. These are some of the words to describe 2020. Oh, we're getting to that one. Hey, hold, hold that thought. Somebody's, uh, somebody's been researching this already. That's pretty good. So um, I started thinking about 2017. When you go back to 2017, one of, the, one of the major themes there was the idea of fake news. You guys remember that, right? We talked about fake news, uh, vaccinations, vax. These were all highlighted words that were really hot button words that were happening in our culture at the time. And you know what? Some people already gave us our 2023 words of the year. And I don't know if that's really fair or not. We still got a few hours left, right? But they did. In fact, Collins announced, as somebody already said in 2023, that their word of the year would be AI. I don't know if that's a word. That's like two letters, right? But AI referencing artificial intelligence. And you guys know, right? This is kind of a controversial subject. You either love it, you think it's going to be great for our society, or you think about Terminator 2 and Doomsday, right? Those, those are kind of the two scenarios you got going on. But AI was uh, the Collins word. Merriman Webster used the word gaslighting. In fact, I hadn't really heard that term until really this year a lot, where, you know, if you have a different view with somebody, instead of questioning their view, you just question their sanity, right? That's gaslighting. Okay, quit nudging each other, okay? It, um, Oxford adopted the phrase in this year as play harder. So I guess in the past years, we haven't played hard enough. So now we're going to start playing harder, you know, this year. And I can see that. In fact, that's kind of some of the words of the year. And that's good. It's good for us to kind of define our year and kind of understand where our culture is. But I started taking that even further. And I said, what about myself? What if Brent gave Brent a word of the year? If I looked back at myself, 
okay, over 2023, what word would I give as my personal word of the year for myself? I have to say, I started looking through it and the words that I come up with are not overly flattering. Maybe I'm a little pessimistic. You know, I started coming up with words like tired or busy or overstretched. And this might be because I have four kids at home. I mean, that might be the case. Maybe I just needed a good uh, rest when I was thinking about this sermon or something. But I, it did become clear to me that my pace of late has been challenging. It's been hard. It's been significant, maybe unrealistic and stressful in different ways. And I thought it was a good point for me to reflect on that and say, you know, this might be an area I need to work on for 2024. But I started thinking even more about it. What if it wasn't me giving a word to myself? What if everybody I came in contact with in 2023 decided to give me a word? Like they did an online poll and they all came up with a word for me. Now just know I never want to see this poll happen, okay? I don't want to know what all of you think of me, okay? Um, maybe it would be good. Maybe words be positive words like thoughtful or shepherding or caring or loving or encouraging or something like that. Or maybe it was words like absent, scattered, busy, selfish, unavailable, right? And you can start seeing that this really starts uh, painting a theme for maybe how um, people saw me in this past year, how intentional I was with people. And I thought, you know what, this is probably a great practice. This is maybe a good practice for everybody to do. And so I thought at this point in time, it'd be good for you to think about your word of the year. What would be your word of the year for you. So as you're thinking about this, just think if I had to summarize this past year and give myself one word, what would it be? As you're thinking of it, I'll, I'll, you know, help you out here. If you need maybe an optimistic view, go talk to your buddy, you know, talk to the people you go bowling with. They're going to think the world of you. If you need a slightly more um, realistic view, talk to your spouse, right? Talk to your coworkers, maybe your roommate, something like that. They'll give you a really good view of some real words of the year for you, right? But I think it's good to look at our word of the year, right? Now, just know, you guys got your word of the year? Everybody got it? Okay, you still thinking it? Good, good. I saw some hands up from some of the kids. That's good. So we got our word of the year. How do you guys like it? Do you like it? How many people like your word of the year? Okay, all right. How many people want a different word, <laughs> right? Okay, so we've got a few different camps here, and I think that's natural, you know? In fact, a lot of people, when they start looking through the word of the year for themselves, they might get what I call the halo syndrome. That means they see themselves with a halo and everything's good. They might start putting down words that are like powerful, attractive, perfect, or unbelievable. These are slightly narcissistic views, okay? If you have any one of those four words, I'm sure Margaret Michaels will work with you for some counseling in 2024 to help out. But maybe you had some other ones, right? Maybe some more challenging words where you're going through hurt or pain or struggles or trials. But let's take that concept again further and let's think about the world around us. What if everybody you met in 2023 came together and did a poll and had one word for you? What word would they use for you, right? Now, it could be a word like thoughtful or encouraging, loving, caring. It could be deliberate or it could be maybe words like political or abstract, sports center, soccer, dance, peaceful, patient, lazy, disciplined. What words would people use to describe you in this past year? Maybe it was Xbox and video games. What word would people describe you? Okay. All right, you guys thinking about that? Okay. 
Well, we're going to take it one step further. So you've got kind of your word of the year for yourself. and You've thought, how did I look in society? But this is the real important question. What if God had a, a word for me in 2023? What would God say about me? And right away, we start seeing the significance goes up so much more, right? We know ourselves pretty well. And I think if everybody pulled and they started speaking about us, they'd probably get some things right. But God knows us intimately. He created us. He knows every detail. He knows us down to our DNA. He is our designer. And when God says things, it's always correct. It's not an assumption. It's not a thought. It's not a, it's, it's correct every time. So all of a sudden, this starts taking some very significance, right? The, God, uh, the word of the year from God is important. And it's something we would probably want to know. And so you might say, well, how do we go about doing this? How, how would we know how God would maybe share a word of the year for us? And I thought no better place to go to than to scripture. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to go to scripture today. We're going to look at some different characters in scripture. Um, and then we're going to take those scenarios and try to apply them back. If nothing else, we're going to gleam a little bit about who God is and how he reacts to different people and maybe what words he would use for them. So that's kind of our plan this morning. And I thought what we would do is we would start off with what I'm going to refer to as the spiritual person, right? And you guys all know one such spiritual person, right? The spiritual person, they're the people who haven't missed literally a church service ever, right? In the last 35 years, they've always been going to church every single weekend. In fact, these people, they're, they're in three or four life groups. They just started another life group last week, right? They're the ones who are starting the next missions trips and going on four of them already next year, right? They're the ones who are counseling me on, on where to go and what to do. In fact, these people, right, they're like the Billy Grahams of the faith, right? They're always there. They're preaching powerful messages at times. They're counseling um, those who are hurting, right? They're meeting widows and orphans. They're rescuing little kitties from trees. I mean, they do it all, right? They are the spiritual pe people. And I thought that's where we'll start. We'll look at a spiritual person. How would God speak and give a word to those spiritual people? And so the first character we're going to talk about comes from the Old Testament book of Zechariah. And in fact, this character would have been considered probably the holiest guy in the whole world. In fact, it was the high priest of Israel. Now, for those of you who may not know about the high priest, the high priest was literally seen as the holiest man in Israel. He was supposed to represent God and his holiness as the highest level of priest. He would always wear these beautiful white uh, robes. He would have literally like these precious jewels all over him. He was the only guy every year would go into the most holy place, the holy of holies, and he would offer sacrifices, not just for himself, but for the entire nation of Israel. I mean, this guy was a big deal. He was like Mr. Holy. And so that's where we're going to pick up today. We're going to look at this guy. And so if we have some middle schoolers and high schoolers, you guys can help me here. If you have your Bibles, open your Bibles. There we go. To Zechariah chapter 3. And we'll read. Zechariah 3.1 says, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. And Satan was standing at his right side to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. And then he said to Joshua, see, I've taken away your sin and I will put fine garments on you. 
And he said, put a clean turban on his head. And so they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. What we're seeing here is we're seeing the most holy guy, Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. And he doesn't look all that great. But some of you might be saying, well, who's this angel of the Lord, right? I mean, first off, who's this character he's standing before? And I think it's important to know. In fact, this isn't just some ordinary angel. As, as important as that would be, as, as powerful that would be to be in the presence of an angel, this angel's different. In fact, he shows up at critical times throughout the Old Testament. He announces different messengers to suit, like people who need some clarity on things. People like Abraham and Hagar and David, a lot of the judges, you know, Samson's parents. He would show up at critical times in history, and he's not just an angel because he accepts worship. He takes on the names of God, right? He's literally called the God who hears in certain passages. And so we start seeing this is not just a normal angel, but this is actually what scholars refer to as a theophany. Theophany, where God is actually coming to earth before the Immaculate Conception and meeting personally with people. And it's a powerful thing. And that's what's happening. This theophany is happening. God is literally right there. And he's looking at Joshua, the high priest. And Joshua, the high priest before him, doesn't look beautiful. He doesn't look clean. He doesn't look done up. He looks filthy. In fact, if you look at kind of the description of how he's being given, it would almost be like he was wearing tattered rags that literally were soiled in excrement. That's what it looks like, okay? It's like he literally shredded his clothes and took a swim in a sewage sanitation factory, okay, in facility. That's what it looks like right here. And you know what? Satan sees him and he is ready to attack because Satan is the accuser. This is what he does best, right? He looks at us, our weaknesses, and he just wants to drill down on that. And he's like, boy, I got a million of them here. Where do I start? And before he can even start laying into Joshua, the high priest, we see the angel of the Lord step in. And he says to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, rebuke you. In effect, what he's saying is, Satan, shut your mouth. This one's mine. This one belongs to me. And after that, he says, you know what? He is filthy when you look at him, but you know what? Take those filthy garments off him. Take them off because that's not my child. My child belongs with pure white linen vestments, something that reflects holiness and beauty and the things that he was made to be. And so that's what happens. He takes off these filthy, disgusting garments and he puts on these pure things. And it shows that he's forgiven and that he's pure as he's standing in the sight of God. And so in the case of Joshua, when we look at this passage, what word would we use again for Joshua, for his word of the year from God, I think his word would be the word clean, clean. Even though he was filthy because of the sins that he had accumulated, God declared him to be clean, right? And I think that's encouraging for us. Now you might start and say, well, Brent, that's easy. I mean, it was the high priest of Israel. Of course, he's going to get a good word, right? What about, what about the suffering people? What about them, Brent? You know, I mean, God can't love them. I mean, look at the suffering that some of these people have gone through. Clearly, God has it out for them, right? So they're not going to get a favorable word, right? Well, let's look at that. Let's look into that. And we're going to start our next passage in Job chapter 1. We're going to look at the life of a guy named Job. In fact, Job chapter 1 starts off talking about the circumstances that happened to him. It starts off in verse 13. It says, one day, while Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabaeans attacked 
and made off with them. And they put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in front of the desert and struck the four corners of the house, and it collapsed on them, and they are all dead, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. Oh my gosh, talk about a rough day. I mean, you know, at a certain point in time, you're really hoping that another um, person doesn't show up and give you more bad news, right? But it didn't end there. In fact, it kept going. In, in verse two, or chapter 2, verse 7, it says, So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord, and he afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. And Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. Ow. Ouch. Right? This is rough. I mean, this is a man who has literally lost everything. We just saw that God took away, I mean, his donkeys, his sheep, his cattle, his oxen, his camels, his servants are gone, his kids are dead, his house collapsed on him, and now he's sitting with boils over his whole body and he's scraping himself with a broken pot to try to take care of himself, right? It would be clear right now that if he was to go ahead and use a word for himself that year, he would probably describe words such as sorrow or grief, probably more likely agony, right? This man had gone through serious, significant trials. And without this book to tell us, we probably would have come to the conclusion that God hated Job, right? We'd be like, man, God really has it out for Job. He must hate him. In fact, that's probably the conclusion I would come to if God didn't tell me otherwise. But in Job chapter 1, we see the opposite is actually what's true. We see that God truly loved Job, and he highly valued him because of his excellent character and his devotion to God. In fact, in Job 1, he says, The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless, and he's upright. He's a man who fears God and shuns evil. And so we see right away, God loved him. So why would he allow this suffering to happen? And what we start seeing is that God wanted to prove Job's love to the whole world. He wanted people to see that this love was not just superficial, but it was foundational. It was based on him. It was based on God and his goodness and his character. And so God felt that Job was worthy to suffer for his name. And he did. He went through so much suffering. Even in the middle of the suffering, though, we see that Job still had a belief in God. In fact, he didn't give up on God and his goodness. Even when he didn't hear God's voice at times, he knew that God was still fighting for him. In Job 23, Job replies, even today, my complaint is bitter. His hand is heavy in spite of my groaning. And if only I knew where to find him. If only I could go to his dwelling, I would state my case before him. I would fill my mouth with arguments. I would find out what he would answer me and consider what he would say to me. Would he vigorously oppose me? 
No, he would not press charges against me. There the upright can establish their innocence before him. And there I would be delivered forever from my judge. But if I go to the east, he's not there. And if I go to the west, I do not find him. When he is at work in the north, I do not see him. And when he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. But he knows the ways that I take. And when he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. We see Job that he is seeking out God. And yet he still has a bit of an arrogance about, about him, right? He's kind of coming before God saying like, you know, put me to the test. In fact, later on, God does answer him over, uh, questions him over a hundred times. And Job doesn't answer one of those questions. That's the reality. But God truly cared about Job. In fact, he saw his upright character so much that he wanted to put him on display for the world to see. And after that, after that suffering was done, actually God um, helped Job back out. In fact, he took better care of him than he did in the first part of his life. In fact, this, this book ends with the Lord restored the fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. Okay, that's a lot of animals, okay? I don't know how you take care of that many animals, but he's taking care of them. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. And that's a lot of kids, too, for that record. But after this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. And so Job died, a man old and full of years. And so the question remains, what kind of word would God give to Job? What would Job's word of the year be? Would it be forgotten or abandoned or forsaken? No. I think Job's year, uh, word of the year would have been treasured. He was actually treasured by God, right? And we don't think about that in the times of suffering. When we're going through suffering, we don't think we're the treasured ones, but Job was truly treasured in God's sight. Now you might say, okay, Brent, the first two illustrations are these really godly people. How about the sinful people? What about the rest of us? Give me one of those. Okay, so we're going to go there. We're going to look at the sinful person, right? The third person, the sinful person. And now this character in scripture that I'm going to talk about, we don't even know this person's name, but we know that this person is sinful. In fact, right from the beginning, uh, this person is actually described as a criminal, okay? Later on in different books uh, uh, of the Gospels, you'll hear him described as a rebel. In fact, he, he was so rebellious and such a criminal that he had been given the sentence of the death penalty. Now, not just any death penalty, but this one was going to be go, going to be crucified on a place called Golgotha. Okay? So you start seeing right away that this is a real criminal. In fact, this person, um, we know right away, was not a Roman citizen. They couldn't have been because Roman citizens found crucifixion so horrible, they would never take their own people, their own citizens, and put them through that. So we know that this is uh, not uh, a Roman citizen. We also know um, that the crimes that this person committed must have been outrageous because they even say that they were deserving of it as they went to the cross, okay? Regardless, this criminal is being led along with a certain Jesus of Nazareth to Golgotha to be executed. And we'll pick up our passage in Luke chapter 23. Verse 32, it says, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with Jesus, with him, to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. They divided up his clothing by casting lots, and the people stood watching. 
And the rulers even sneered at him. And they said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came and mocked him. They offered him wine with vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice about him, which read, this is the king of the Jews. Now, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. And this is the guy we're referring to. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. And we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And this man said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, if you think about this for a second, that request could be the most ridiculous request in the entire Bible. Okay? Absolutely ridiculous. You might say, why? Literally, think about it for a minute. This man is hanging on a cross. And he's hanging next to a man who claims to be the Messiah, the Son of God. Somehow, he looks over and he sees that this is actually the Son of God. He puts his faith in him and recognizes that he, again, fears God in his heart and knows that he has no hope in this life. And the only hope he has is in the life to come. And he asks this man who's hanging on a cross if he would be remembered. Now think about that. Jesus could have answered that a lot of different ways, right? First thing he could have did did is he could have um, just basically said, um, listen, what do you want me to do for you? Okay. You're you're hanging on a cross. I'm hanging on a cross. Um, You know, tough luck, buddy, right? We're both on a cross. But Jesus didn't say that. He could have looked at him and said, hey, listen, I love that you're changing your ways. You know, that's really great. I love this change of heart. It's too late. Okay, you're being sentenced and you just said that you deserve it. So it's right for you to get this. He could have said that to him too, but he didn't. He could have actually been furious with the guy. If you think about it, Jesus could have been like, the reason I'm on the cross is because of your sins and everybody else's sins. I don't even need to be here. I'm here because of you. But you know what? He didn't say that either. In fact, Jesus answered by saying, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you'll be with me in paradise. See, Jesus didn't ignore the request of this man, but he saw his faith in God on display. Whatever shred of faith this guy had, he knew that this man who was hanging next to him offered him a future and a future hope. It wasn't in this life, but it was in the life that was to come. So this man, again, who's there, and to to our best knowledge, we don't know that he's done anything right in his life, right? His life is literally, the pinnacle of his life is ending, being hung on a Roman cross, and yet he's asking Jesus to remember him and to bring him into his kingdom. And Jesus reminds him that, yeah, this day you will be with me in paradise. So what would be the word of the year for this sinful criminal? I think this sinful criminal's word of the year would have been the word forgiven, forgiven. He had done nothing right that we are aware of, and yet God was still willing to forgive him even then. And so this brings me to my conclusion. As we start talking about this, um, why did these three different individuals have a favorable verdict? What did they have in the same? They, They all had problems. In fact, the high priest, when he was standing before God, looked filthy. Didn't matter how clean he looked on the outside, inside, he looked absolutely filthy. Right? We know that Job, even though he was a, a, an honorable guy, 
he was arrogant towards God, right? He tried to elevate himself and kind of his circumstances in some ways. And this last man was a known criminal. In fact, all of them had issues. So why did they receive a favorable verdict? And the answer comes back to the other man who was hanging on the cross, Jesus, son of the most high God. In fact, you guys know this passage in John three sixteen. it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have eternal life. And it goes on to say, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus didn't come here to condemn us. He came here to save us. He knew that we needed a great savior. And so that's the reality. God took great pride in sending his son, his one and only son to earth to die a painful, horrible death on a cross. And you know what? When Jesus went to that cross, it showed God's faithfulness to us. In fact, God was pleased to send his son because again, it expressed his greatest faithfulness towards everybody who was here. And I think this is helpful to know. Even as we look at the past season that we've been through, you might have had a great season in 2023. It might have been a horrible season. It could have been extremely challenging and frustrating and difficult. But you know what? God has been with you through that entire season. In fact, he's never left you. He's never forsaken you as a result of that. Any of the experiences you have are ultimately triumphed by his triumph on the cross. The fact that the son of God came to die for you, for each one of you. I started thinking about this myself too. You know, this last year, it's been challenging for me, right? Um, I've lost people who I truly loved. I've lost people who've died. Um, I've, I've had circumstances happen that were challenging. In fact, we looked forward to an incredible vacation out to North Carolina to go out on a fishing boat and stuff. It was the worst vacation I've ever had in my life, you know? I never want to go back to North Carolina again in my life, you know? Um, that's how things ended, you know? I was like, that's fine. You know, we're going to take a team. I mean, John and Anna are going to come with me to Israel, right? We left Israel literally with missiles flying over our heads and a full-on war breaking out and us escaping through Jordan. That, that was what this year has looked like. But we've had challenges and sickness and loss and difficulty. So what word would I use to describe God in this year? And the only word I could come up with was faithful. Faithful. God has remained faithful despite your circumstances. And we will experience hardships in this world. God is faithful. He is always, always faithful. And he goes with us through the journey. It says he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He's our constant companion in times of trouble. He's our strong tower we can run into when we have needs. And so God is faithful. In fact, this is something that I remind myself of every night. In fact, I remind my daughter, my three-year-old daughter, so every night I sing her a song, and uh, it actually comes from Lamentations 321. Um, and I'm going to sing it to you. So I guess I was going to just say it to you, but we'll sing it to you, just like I do to her every night. Okay? Thanks. I needed that encouragement. That'll be good. All right. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. 
So every night, thank you. Every night for the last year, I've sang that to my daughter before I put her to bed. And it's a good reminder for her as well as for me that God remains faithful. And you know, God is faithful. Oftentimes, it's, he's faithful, but he's faithful too because he was willing to send his son Jesus to die for us. In fact, that's what Jesus did. When Jesus took the sins of the world upon himself, he took all the pain and the misery that everything that we should have experienced upon himself, right? God saw that it was good. And in fact, if God was to use a word for Jesus, I think during that season and any season forward, his word would have been pleased. He was pleased to send his son to the cross. He was pleased because it showed his faithfulness to every one of us. And that's what I hope you guys remember. No matter how many times um, we've failed in 2023 or whether we've seen success through 2023, whatever has happened to us in 2023, know that you have a God who is fighting for you, who is your companion, who loves you, has been faithful and sent his own son to die because he loves you so much. And anything you've gone through, any trials you currently go through, know that they pale in comparison to the hope that we have with Jesus Christ. And that is really my hope for you guys too. I hope that you guys remember that. Yeah, it's worth clapping about. Praise the Lord. And that's my hope for you guys, that as you reflect in these uh, next few hours in 2023, before we hit 2024, that you would remember everything that God has done with his faithfulness. And that's how we're going to kind of close out this sermon. I want you guys to just close your eyes and bow your heads. And for about 30 seconds to a minute, I just want you to think about how God has been faithful to each one of you in this past year. How has God been faithful? What has he done? How has he shown his faithfulness to you? I want you to think about that. And we're going to close by praising him as a result of his faithfulness.